This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. And go for Mike Slater in 3, 2, 1. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. It's America's greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thank you for being here. Got a lot to do, obviously. I want to start here. I'm super excited uh, for this segment, so why not? Let's start with it. We now have proof. We have proof. Everything we've been saying about virtue signaling is true. And not only true, but uh, even a little deeper than, than maybe we supposed. Outrage. Very in vogue today, right? So not only are we supposed to be outraged by everything... And look for outrage. Look for things to be outraged about. But now it's, it's like a competition. And, and people try to out-outrage the other guy. Right? So I guess the, the dumb outrage of last week, and there's literally two or three a day. I'm not exaggerating. But one of the dumbest of last week was, oh my gosh, did you see Kellyanne Conway with her feet on the couch? Oh, that's outrageous. And then someone else says, oh, it's... Uh, I'm way more outraged than that. And then the other person's like, oh, I'm even more outraged than, than you thought I was. And I'm more outraged than you. And it's just this ridiculous competition to see who's more outraged than the other guy. It's crazy. So what is this? Where does this come from? Why do we do this? Or why do other people do this? I'm out. I'm out of the outrage game. I don't, I don't want to play anymore. Uh, but analyzing why other people do this, super interesting. So back in the day, if you were outraged about something, it was about an injustice that occurred. And your outrage came from a selfless concern for the well-being of, of another person or, or a thing, right? It was a very selfless concern. But now we live in, in a narcissistic world. So outrage is no longer about selflessness. It's not, it's no longer about an injustice that occurred to someone else. And you're like, Oh man, like I can't believe that happened. Like I'm outraged that that would happen to you. It's not about that. Now it's about your own self interest so that other people think you're a good person, but it goes even deeper than that. So some psych researchers, psych professors have been doing research on guilt of all things. And they wrote this gem. I want to read it here, and we're going to unpack all of this. But this is, this is their conclusion. Feelings of guilt 
are a direct threat to one's sense that you are a moral person. We're going to explain all this. And accordingly, research on guilt finds that this emotion elicits elicits strategies aimed at alleviating guilt that do not always involve undoing one's actions. So you, you feel guilty for something you did, but instead of undoing that thing that made you feel guilty, you, you look for other strategies to make you feel less guilty. Uh, furthermore, research shows that individuals respond to reminders of their group's moral culpability. We'll get to this with feelings of outrage at third party harm doing. These findings suggest that feelings of moral outrage long thought to be grounded solely in concerns with maintaining justice may sometimes reflect efforts to maintain a moral identity. All right, let's unpack it. So if you feel guilty about something you did, right, that doesn't feel good. Here's why. We all think we're great people. <laughs> Everyone does. Everyone thinks they're a good person. Even people on death row deep down think they're a good person. Every single person in history thinks they're a good person. Hitler thought he was a good person. We all think we are good people. Now, if we do something and we feel guilty about it, then we experience what's called, and we talk about a lot, cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance. Meaning, we have two conflicting views held at the exact same time. Our brain doesn't like when we have two conflicting views at the exact same time. So when that happens, something's got to give. So view number one is I'm a good person. Okay. View number two Oh, I feel guilty. That must mean I'm a bad person. So those are two conflicting views held at the same time. I'm a good person and I'm a bad person. So something's got to give. You can't have both those at the same time. That's cognitive dissonance doesn't feel right. So something's got to go. Now, the obvious thing to do would be to undo the thing that makes you feel guilty, right? Ask for forgiveness, to that person or whatever, right? That's the right thing. That's the obvious thing. If you feel guilty about something, undo it the best you can. But instead, we don't do that because that involves confrontation. It involves humility, difficult discussions, admitting you're wrong, personal responsibility. Right? All these. We don't like to do that. So instead, we look for the easy way out and we get outraged at other things that other people are doing. The outrage is a way of covering up your own guilt of your own actions. So not only is being outraged in a way that other people can see, it's, it's like, hey, everyone, look at me. Look, look at what a great person I am. I'm outraged at this thing. I'm outraged that, I don't know, Apple computers would do this or Uber would do this or whatever it is. Uh, Trump would, I'm outraged at Trump's. I'm so outraged about it. Everyone look at me. I'm going to put it on Twitter. I'm going to put it on Facebook. I'm going to tell everyone I know how outraged I am at this so that people think I'm a good person. But it's also getting outraged so that you trick yourself into thinking you're a good person. You get outraged at things so that in a way to cover up your guilt, in a, as, a, as a way to mask your guilt of something else you did. Right. This is so important. So outrage is no longer based out of a, a you know a selfless, you know, I really care about you and this issue. It's it's no longer about that. And then it's it's like, well, 
I feel guilty about something. So, hey, everyone, look at me. Look at how outraged I am at this thing. Therefore, I'm a good person, right? If I'm outraged that this person said something about transgender folk or whatever, if I'm outraged at that conservative, then that means I'm a good person. And everyone, people praise me for how outraged I am. But now it's even more than that. Now it's, I'm going to be outraged at this other thing so that I think I'm a good person. So that I think, so I trick myself into thinking I'm a good person by ignoring, by masking, by covering up the guilt I feel about something else. Because again, the cognitive dissonance, I'm a good person is one belief. The second belief is, well, I'm guilty. Therefore I'm a bad person. So if we can do things that can cover up the guilt, right? And we, and we try to pretend that that's not really there. Then all we again, focus on is the, I'm a good person part, which is what we really want to focus on. So I hope that makes sense. Here's how they get there. And then I want to talk about what this means and what we do with this, but here's how, how they got there. So they did a study and I'm super simplifying this, but this is basically how it works. So uh, you walk into the study and they say, Hey, thank you for being here. Thanks for being at the study. This is really helpful. Really, really appreciate it. Um, read this article here about Apple computers hiring people in third world countries and, and paying them next to nothing. Bad working conditions, dangerous working conditions. They're not getting paid anything. Uh, just go ahead and read that article and let us know what you think about it. Those people, after they read the article, it was a fake news article. After literally, it was, they wrote it. The researchers wrote it. After that, they read the article. They said, "So, how do you feel about Apple doing that?" And everyone's like, "Oh, you know, that's not great." Well, on a scale of one to ten, how bad is what they do? Ah, like a five, six. It's not. It's not great, but you know. Okay. So then another person walks in and they say, "Hey, man, thank you so much for coming to the study. We really, really appreciate you being here." Hey, so sweatshops, right? Oh my gosh, sweat, child sweatshop labor. Oh, it's the worst. Unbelievable. Do you have do you have, do you have any clothes made by children in sweatshops in, in Malaysia or third world country? Oh, that yeah, that shirt. It's uh, that shirt's from the Gap. Yeah, that's that's made by children in sweatshops. Yeah, mm, that's. <laughs> I mean, no. Listen, you do what you got to do, but um, it's pretty disgusting actually that you would wear a, a shirt made by children in a sweatshop. But no, but no, anyway, listen, that's neither here nor there. Glad you're here. Go ahead, read this article here about Apple computers and the way that they treat people in third world countries. Okay, the people read the article. So do you see the difference? They were primed. These people were primed to feel guilty about their involvement with sweatshop labor. Okay, so now they feel guilty. So now they're like, well, hold on, I'm a good person, but now I feel guilty. So that means I'm a bad person. What do I do? All right, they read the Apple computer article. And then afterwards, they're asked, hey, what do you think about that, uh, about Apple computers? Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. Tim Cook is the devil. I can't believe they would do that. I'm boycotting Apple. Apple's the worst. I'm telling all my friends I'm going to burn an Apple store to the ground. Like super, super outraged. And it's like, whoa, why are you so outraged? It's because they were primed to feel guilty about something they did and they do right before they read the article. So that's where they get the conclusion that if you feel guilty about something you've done, then you are more inclined to be super outraged about something else in an effort to make yourself feel better about yourself. (laughs) Not only so that other people think you're a good person, but so that you yourself then think you're a good person. Now, here's the last point. So we know that, that guilt makes people feel more outraged about other things. 
But once the people get outraged, it turns out they do feel less guilty about themselves. So it does work, quote unquote. It does make them feel better, right? So let's say, um, you know, they'd ask you after, you know, you talk about sweatshop labor, you know, how, how guilty are you? They'd be like, oh, geez, like, like a nine, 10. I was so guilty. And then afterwards, they, you know, they freak out about Apple computers and how Tim Cook is awful and a- Apple computers are the worst and they're the devil and I'm boycotting. And then afterwards, they'd be like, oh, real quick, by the way, how guilty are you about uh, your sweatshop labor uh, t-shirt? And they'd be like, oh, you know, no big deal. Four. You know, got to wear clothes, right? <laughs> so like the outrage actually made them feel less guilty. This is the trick we play on ourselves. Okay, take a break. That's how it works. If you have any questions, one 900 I'll try to explain it better. Um, or you can send me a tweet, Slater Radio. Um, and I think I'll send the, I'll tweet out the article right now or the, uh, the study right now so you can check it out yourself. Uh, but if you have any questions, one 900 I think this is incredibly important. Coming up next, we'll talk about what this looks like and what we do with this now that we know this is what causes this phony outrage all the time. We'll do that next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network. Two thousand and seventeen is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. This is Mike Slater. So I I love this story. I love this proof that uh, a lot of the time, I don't know, most of the time, it's hard to say, but I'll I'll say most of the time when people are outraged, at least in the political world, um, when they're outraged at something on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, most of it's motivated by internal feelings that that person has, that internal feelings of guilt about something completely unrelated. So maybe you feel guilty that, you know, or someone feels guilty that they said something to their wife that morning that they shouldn't have, right? Now, they think they're a good husband, but they just did something that m- makes them a bad husband. Kind of dissonance. You can't have both of those views at the same time. So obviously the thing to do would be to apologize to your wife for what you did. Therefore, you won't have guilt anymore and you can go back to thinking you're a good husband. But we don't do that because that involves, again, humility and personal responsibility and, all, and conflict. So instead, your confrontation. So instead, we get outraged to other things, outwardly outraged as a way to trick ourselves 
into thinking we're good people as a way to cover the guilt that we have about something else we did and trick ourselves into thinking that we're actually good people. Amazing. So when you see people who are perpetually outraged about perceived injustices or people who are actively searching out to be outraged at things, they're probably overcompensating. There's probably something else going on in their life and the the outrage is not worthy of your time. I want to read this abstract from the uh, from the study. Why do people express moral outrage? That's the virtue signaling Twitter stuff we talk about. While this sentiment often stems from a perceived violation of some moral principle, that's the, you know, the, the old school outrage. Like gosh, I can't like Glenn Beck does a lot of thing with um uh, human trafficking, right? Like that's a real genuine outrage at an injustice that's occurring. And Glenn is is in a completely righteous way motivating people to be aware and to actively stop this human trafficking and save lives with Operation Underground Railroad. Right? He's not just changing his Twitter avatar and be like, "Oh, okay, solve that problem." No, no, he's actively helping the people who are really doing things to save people's lives, right? That's a real moral outrage, and that's fine. Obviously, it's great. That's a good thing. But that's motivated by a, a, from a pure, genuine place. Uh, anyway, they go on. We test the counterintuitive possibility that moral outrage at third-party transgressions is sometimes a means of reducing guilt over one's own moral failings and restoring a moral identity. Again, thinking that you're a good person. So we got two takeaways here. When you get outraged at something, stop for a second and ask why. Really, really do this next time you, uh, you read something or you're watching something and you get outraged. Really think about why are you outraged? Don't get just swept. Don't, don't just get swept up by the emotion of outrage. Like really think about it. I got a minute here so we can talk about this. So the book, the number one book that we used uh, on this show to analyze Donald Trump's election, his campaign, we've been using it for about, about, well, I first used it with Barack Obama back in 2008 and then kind of got away from it and then got back to it. At least it wasn't right away, but just maybe a month or two into Trump's nomination or not nomination, uh, announcing he was going to run. And the book is The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. And I had the unbelievable honor of talking to Robert Greene on my local show the other day. Just, it was phenomenal to talk to him. He doesn't do interviews a lot. It was super cool to talk to this guy. So The 48 Laws of Power. And it's a great book. Uh, it's, it's an amazing history book. He'll tell stories from thousands of years ago. And it's like the weirdest history stories that you would never hear of. It's like, Oh, this Mongolian king 2,500 years ago was fighting against this other person you've never heard of, of this tribe that no one's it. And it's like, what? How do you, how do you know? Like, where'd you get all the it's un- unbelievable history book? So Trump has exhibited, we've gone over on this show, probably 15 of the 48 rules that Trump just abides. By. Oh, by the way, this is the number one uh, banned book in prisons across the country. It's considered contraband. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Donald Trump has read it. Robert Greene has said that former presidents he knows for a fact have read it. 
Uh, I'm convinced that Donald Trump has read it as well uh, because it is just all to the T. Anyway, the big point of the book, overall arching theme, is to not get swept up by emotion. So it's kind of a very stoic a stoic uh, theme throughout the whole thing. Don't get swept up by things. Don't get swept up by outrage. Don't get swept up by any emotions, fear, anger, even love. Don't get swept up when you're trying to make decisions with emotion. Just take a step back for a second and think. Think clearly, think properly about, first of all, where is this sense coming from? And then what's the proper, the real proper course of action? So again, if you feel outraged, just take a step back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why, why, why am I feeling this way? Could it be just I feel guilty about something completely unrelated? And, and I'm trying to like, trick myself into thinking I'm a good person by being outraged by this other thing. Like Genuinely, that happens to everyone. But here's more likely. When someone else gets outraged, don't get outraged at their outrage. Don't attack them for their outrage because their outrage is probably just some moral preening that you don't need to be a part of. And if you are outraged at their outrage, then they become a martyr. And that's what they really want, right? That's how they really know they're a good person. If they're outraged at something, you're like, oh, you're an idiot. I can't believe you're outraged. They're like, oh, oh, you don't understand. Like, oh, like I'm fighting the good fight here. And now I'm a victim because I've been attacked and I'm a martyr for the cause. And oh, I'm such a good person, right? So just don't, don't engage. Because they're just going to feel better about themselves, masking their own guilt even more. So just let it go. <laughs> let that outrage go. There's going to be another one tomorrow and another one tomorrow and four more the next day. Don't be a part of that. Take a step back and let's focus on what really matters, what's really important, not just fake moral preening outrages. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network, for the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. listening to Mike Slater. Thanks for being here. So I just mentioned the, the book 48 Laws of Power. Definitely recommend you reading it. It is the toughest read I've ever uh, had in my life. I, I should have mentioned that. It's a very unique read. Uh, how do I explain it? So there's a, it's just, it's just heavy. It's heavy and I have to read pages multiple times, but gosh, it is so good. So buy it, please, and, and get your pen ready. And make lots of notes in it. It's it's that kind of book. You don't just read it straight through. Um, it's it's a resource. You'll go back to it a hundred times. And it's set up. It, it has a rule, and then a couple stories, and then the uh, people who do the rule, right? People who have who have done the rule exactly, and then people who haven't abided by the rule, which have resulted in failure. And then they'll do an analysis of it, and then it'll have the, if possible, the reverse of the rule as well. It's super super interesting. So. I'll give you an example of this. One of the laws, law 21, play a sucker to catch a sucker. Seem dumber than you think. And here's the write-up. No one likes feeling stupider than the next person. The trick then is to make your victims feel smart. 
and not just smart, but smarter than you are. Once convinced of this, they will never suspect that you may have ulterior motives. Very simple example of this is what Trump is doing to the media. Now, this is easy prey right, for this rule, this law, because the media, media's elitism, right, the fact that they think they are gods and the smartest people of all time. I'll explain that God's uh, t- uh, sentence and I'll, I'll do that in the next segment because they do. Uh, they think they're gods. They think they're the smartest people of all time. You mix in the fame that comes from being on TV, uh, this delusional, I'm so important because it's about the news. And also, uh, media is a very easy to see ladder of success. So it's a profession for ambitious people. It's very easy to see, like, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to progress to this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then one day I'm going to be Bill O'Reilly, right? So you can can see the steps, and it's just, it's, it's, it attracts ambitious people, right? So you have fame, ambition, influence, all these things come together. These are all very dangerous. As George W. Bush said the other day, these things are corrosive. Now, he said that power, you know, fame, ambition, influence, power is corrosive of the president. Which, and he said that's why we need a, a free media in order to check that corrosive power. But I'm saying that people in the media have that corrosiveness in them as well. Right? They themselves have fame, ambition, influence, and power. And it has already corroded them to the core, which is why they're in no position to have any moral authority uh, or, or influence or, you know. Uh, that's what I'm looking for. Any more authority or um, deserved influence uh, of the American people. Anyway, got off topic. Point is, Trump has played the media like a fiddle because he's playing a sucker to catch a sucker and he's seeming dumber than the media think, right? than he thinks. Right? So Trump's whole thing here is to to make the media think that he's stupid and to make the media think that they're smarter than he is. Now, again, that's easy to do, not because Trump is stupid, but because the media is so, so arrogant that they think they're smarter than everyone. So Trump can do things and the immediate assumption by everyone in the media is that he's an idiot. They're super smart. He's dumb. And they roll with that. And Trump plays them like a fiddle. So Ben Shapiro, who does not like Trump at all, He's a conservative, does not like Trump. Wrote an article the other day about Trump's enemies and how he chooses his enemies very wisely. So who are Trump's enemies? The media. NBC poll, 53% of Americans think, quote, the media are exaggerating the problems with the Trump administration because they are uncomfortable and threatened with the kind of change that Trump represents. So that means most Americans, when they see a story about Donald Trump on the news, most Americans look at that story and assume that it's being exaggerated because the media hates him. And Trump has been setting it up that way perfectly for the entire campaign. Second enemy, China. 52% of Americans have an unfavorable view of China. Okay, that's one of Trump's enemies. Number three, the globalists. Right now, we're in an era of nationalism. Right? So the globalists are the enemy. Four, the establishment. 86% of Americans think, quote, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. So if Trump can always remain an outsider to the establishment and make the establishment the enemy, then he is going to be in a position of authority and power. Fifth, 
Trump's fifth enemy, ISIS. That's easy. Then illegal immigrants. Most Hispanics are against sanctuary cities. So Trump has made illegal immigrant criminals his enemy. And then finally the Democrats. And they've never had a lower approval rating ever. So here's Ben Shapiro. He says, that's the nice thing about being Trump and spotting enemies around every corner. The more enemies you spot, the more people who will agree with you that at least one of your enemies is their enemy too. Trump is purposefully selecting these enemies because everyone hates them. (laughs) He's not picking enemies that people like. He's picking enemies that people hate. Now you may be saying, well, hold on. Don't people like Meryl Streep? Yeah. Well, no, because really it's what she represents. She represents Hollywood and people hate Hollywood and the elitism that they represent. So she's not, he's not picking Meryl Streep on her. He's picking on everything she represents. Now, to do that, and Trump does this purposely, he doesn't go after like a, like a lightweight in Hollywood, like a bit actor. Right? He goes after the top of Hollywood and says she's overrated and all the rest. And that, what that is, is it's all of Hollywood. He picks his enemies purposefully and perfectly. And obviously that sets him up for success. Now, I guess this in a way, it's, it's the old advice about uh, outrunning a bear in the woods. So imagine a bear, you guys are camping, you're camping with some friends and a bear's running after you. You don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun the other guy in, <laughs> in order to survive. So Trump doesn't have to be popular. He just has to be more popular or more liked than his enemies. Then ISIS, then the media, then sanctuary cities, then Nancy Pelosi. And an- another thing that I've been trying to prove the last couple months is that really all Trump has to do is be better than the caricature that has been created about him. And when you have the media painting this picture about Trump being not only Hitler, but a total idiot, it's pretty simple to come by every once in a while and, and be better than that caricature. That's why people liked his speech so much the other day. It was all on a curve. It was graded on a curve. Now, I think it was actually a genuinely very, very good speech. But when everyone is expecting a total disaster, then all that has to be is okay and everyone thinks it's great. And I say he's done all that on purpose. That's where people don't give him credit. People think Trump is stupid. All right, here. People think they're smart and Trump is stupid. Right? People who hate Trump, they think that they're smart and Trump is stupid. I'm telling you, Law 21 says... Law 21 of power, 48 laws of power. Law 21, play a sucker to catch a sucker. Seem dumber than you think. I think it's tough to be a dumb billionaire. (laughs) You can be an immoral billionaire. You can be a bad person and be a billionaire, most certainly, but not a dumb one. There's not a lot of dumb billionaires, especially in, in Trump's, in the industry that he's in. Right? Those people, Trump, master of marketing, branding, messaging, all that stuff. And I, I, I am moving forward and I have for the last year and a half. Nearly everything. Now everyone's going to make mistakes here and there and do things that they shouldn't have and didn't mean to, of course. But I'm, I'm under the assumption that if Trump does something, it is purposeful. It is with, for a plan. There's a plan. There's a reason. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's playing the long game. He's setting something up. He's manipulating people. He's playing the game. And he's, he's, he's wielding his power over everyone that people don't even realize is being done. I truly, genuinely Believe that. Law 21, play a sucker to catch a sucker. Seem dumber than you think. You may not agree with him on policy or or even some principles that he has, but you can't think he's dumb. 
but too many people do, and to their own demise. If nothing else, he picks his enemies wisely. Even when he went after John McCain, this, this, when he said John McCain, he's like, oh, you know, John McCain, you know, I, I like people who don't get captured. When that happened, and then Trump survived it, that's when I said, oh, this is, this is different. This, <laughs> this is something. So why did that work? That worked because John McCain, what does he represent? Not veterans. He represents the establishment. He represents the old guard. Eight years ago, he was the nominee. He lost to Obama, right? So that's why Trump was attacking the establishment when he did that. And that's why people let it go. And, and when the more he chooses these targets, the more he chooses these enemies properly, the more powerful and influential he becomes. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. I got an example of not getting swept up by emotion. So this whole Jeff Sessions controversy. Um, came home Wednesday night from something. Um, it was like 9 o'clock. Turned on the TV. MSNBC was on. Don't ask. Long story. Breaking news. Banners flashing. Sound effects. It, the, the text on the bottom of the screen was scrolling faster than normal. Like, like there's so much information they got to get out there right now. That everything's got to go super fast, super loud, super big in your face. It was game on big time. Huge news, earth shattering. I was like, oh my gosh, like, is that a terrorist attack? Is that aliens coming? Like, huge, huge news. It's like, this is unbelievable. And it was the Jeff Sessions controversy. Now, remember. Number one priority of TV news is what? Fill time. This fake controversy was a great time filler. I can't emphasize this enough. You have producers of TV shows sitting around saying, what are we going to talk about today? Nothing's going on. Nothing's happening. What do we do? How do we fill the time? I got an hour. We can't just sit here and do nothing. We got, oh, oh. And then this happened. Like, oh, good. Time filler. That's all it was. So it was late at night, and I said, I'll read about it in the morning. So I woke up, read about the whole Jeff Sessions thing, waited for his press conference a little later that afternoon, and it was a giant nothing sandwich. It's not even worth talking about the details because it's so stupid and so nothing. Now, the good news is I never got worked up over it to begin with, so I did not waste a single calorie on it, <laughs> right? But if you're a, D- a Democrat, you're going to watch that and be like, oh, you're, you're freaking out, Ray. Oh, it's a freak out, freak out, freak out. And if you're a conservative, you, you get outraged, like counter outraged, like, oh, no, he's innocent. Blah, blah, blah. I didn't do either. I was, it was too late, <laughs> too late night. I was tired. Like, ah, I just want to go to bed. So I didn't waste any calories at all. Didn't get swept up in it. And it's so easy to, when you got graphics on the TV flashing and banging and whizzing and all the, just, just don't. Now I still do get burned from time to time. This is not a holier than thou point here. I get burned. Uh, too frequently was it last week or two weeks ago james o'keefe had uh you know 
Oh, he's got, he's got big time undercover CNN videos. His operatives are have infiltrated CNN and undercover videos. Blah blah blah. blah. I'll be releasing them in the next few days, and then it was nothing. I think I think the big, and I got excited. I got excited. I was, oh, I can't wait. <sighs> Whatever. The big turning point in my life was a couple of years ago. It was the Floyd Mayweather Manny Pacquiao fight. Remember that was the biggest deal ever. Was that like the the most watched thing or the most money bet ever? And I think I even left an event early. I was at some cool event. I left it to go to a buddy's house and watch it. And it was the dumbest thing ever. It was so just hyped up and it was nothing. And I remember at that moment I said, I'm not going to get you know riled up over stuff anymore. <laughs> not stuff like this. Now, I, I, just, my point is I don't want to get, it's not that I don't want to get excited about things. I just want to be more discerning about what is worth getting excited about. So what news is actually a thing and what news is just time filler? Because if it's just time filler, I don't want to waste any calories on it. If it's a real thing, well, then let's investigate. Let's learn more. But if it's just producers trying to fill an hour of TV, come on, we're better than that. So Marcus Aurelius, he was a Roman emperor, uh, like 160 or so. He was a Stoic, and his book is called, Medi- well, it's not his book. It's a collection of personal writings called Meditations. Jim Mattis, Mad Dog Mattis, Trump's. Uh, Secretary of Defense, when he goes on deployments, he carries this book, Meditations, around with him, and he reads it all the time. It's awesome. Anyway, Aurelius, Marcus Aurelius wrote, like seeing roasted meat and other dishes in front of you. So imagine a feast, right? You walk in, and there's just this huge feast. Oh, it's unbelievable. And it's, oh, the, uh, the best silverware. Imagine you're going to, don't, don't think Thanksgiving at your house. Think fanciest restaurant ever fanciest restaurant think you're going to the white house right so it's this huge over the top black tie affair like nothing you've ever seen before crystal glasses like everything there was like 12 forks so you like the most elaborate thing you've ever seen in your life all right so so this is a marcus really says uh like seeing roasted meat and other dishes in front of you and suddenly realizing this is a dead fish a dead bird a dead pig Perceptions like that, latching onto things and piercing through them so that we see what they really are. That's what we need to do all the time. That's Marcus Aurelius. So his point is, don't get distracted by the glitter. Don't get distracted by the breaking new sound effects. Don't get distracted by nonsense. I'll end with Ryan Holiday. He said, expensive food is still dead plants and animals. Fancy clothes are made in sweatshops by children. Rich people still go to the bathroom like everyone else. Marcus Aurelius said, strip things of the legend that encrusts them. Go through your day with objectivity and see things as they are. When you watch the news, when you read the news, don't get riled up. Take a step back. Think, is this worth it? Or is it just time filler? We're better than time filler. You're better than it. Mike Slater, show the plays radio network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.